0: This is Remote Ruby. Have you any remote ideas to the meaning of the word? Happy Friday. Dude,
1: happy Friday.
0: <laughs> I'm very glad it's Friday because I had one of those long days where you're like, you got to do some complex production migration stuff. I don't know how many hours yesterday I worked, but it was like 15 hours or something. Maybe with a lunch break, like 14
1: But yeah, fun times. Sometimes software is stressful. I have an app on my computer and it uses like the iOS activity monitoring stuff to like sync your phone and stuff too. And across all my computers and it just sits at the top and it tells me how long I've been active today. And sometimes I look at that number, bueno. (laughs)
0: Like
1: you've been active for 25 hours today. (laughs) <laughs> well, see, there's both ends of it, right? Some days I'm like, oh my God, like I got nothing done today. And it like shows. And then there's yeah. some days where I'm like, oh, do, do do." I'm just coding away, man. Just excited. I'm looking at, it is noon right now. I have been active over 11 hours today. Do <laughs> you see the problem with that number? Yeah. Huh. Now that I I'm say it out loud, early. I just realize how problematic that is. Interesting. Uh-huh.
0: I was thinking about that the other day because you had tweeted about this the other day and you got me thinking about like, you know, when I was like learning to code, like I would code at all different hours of the day. And mm -hmm. now I try to stick to my nine to five ish. But really, the most fun I have sometimes is like 8 p.m. and after, like I, I did when I was like learning to code. The world's cut off, just me and my code and my problem, whatever I'm trying to do. And I miss that. I miss that a lot. Probably is extra hard right now with the seven-month-old at home. Probably that's why it's very much sinking in at the moment, but
1: I miss it. Well, don't. Well, actually, <laughs> I'm very conflicted about this, right? I am probably killing myself by staying awake all night, the amount that I do still at my age. On the yeah, other hand, sure. that is when I'm truly the happiest. It's like midnight where it's like getting late and I'm like, no, man, I'm going to keep coding because I'm excited. I don't do yeah. that unless I'm extremely excited about what I'm doing. Yeah, right. At this point, I want to hold on to those moments and those feelings because I know that, like, when I wake up, it's going to be gone. Right. Yeah.
0: And that's definitely it for me, too, where it's like I fondly think of those moments because the only reason I was up late at night was because I was having fun working yeah. on something. Yeah. Definitely can relate to that. And that's a good thing. Like, it's probably, inherently biased like i'm not sitting down to do like work i hate in the middle of the night that stuff happens during the day for sure but yes. yeah but it does kind of bring me when you're doing the day job that's very different work cuz it's not necessarily exploratory or like r&d it's not kind as of work creative. At all. yeah it's not as creative cuz you're like fixing bugs and yeah. building someone, a feature someone else's that's like, problems a lot of the time you're like we have designers already Planned all this out. So I got to go play within these rules, which can be nice at times, but it's definitely not creative, like you're saying. It's a totally different kind of programming. Yeah, I'm missing that. Haven't done fun programming for a while until like yesterday. Kind of was moments of that. You know, when you get one of those hard problems where you're like, oh my God, we got to stressful to go like, think through every edge case that could possibly happen and make sure we account for those and read through the code 12 times before we run it in production and whatever, because it's a major change or whatever. But those can be like, this can be quite fun because you're yeah. just stretching your brain as far as you can, trying to make
1: sure you cover all your bases. But you could be stretching your brain, trying to figure out how freaking comments work in JavaScript, bro. Comments? that. Like they code comments or... Doc binge mm. recently. But I... Okay, I just want to specify. There was like a bunch of drama on Twitter about JS Doc. I have not been on Twitter for like the past two weeks. Yeah, I, I was not aware of that. I was using them before they were cool.
0: I didn't know anything about it, but I did see a couple of people mention the drama. And then I was like, I am not going to go look into this because there's been plenty of that in the past that I was like, ooh, what happened here? But... It doesn't really ever add anything to my life. So I've been trying yeah. to be like, yeah, you know what? Let them enjoy it. But we had some fun yesterday of JavaScript problems of the ES build Rails node package that I wrote to basically like use glob importing and stuff from mm. what I missed very much from Webpack to add that to ES build. It's just like use a glob plugin and it's pretty simple, but it turns out. Somebody asked me to upgrade the NPM package called Glob, which Mm -hmm. is written by a guy that has other packages that are, for the most part, all the dependencies were like ones he wrote. But it turned out that a dependency of Glob depended on something else that was causing Yarn to have issues. And we started looking into it. I was trying to reproduce it on my machines. None of them, even CI, never had an issue. But other people were having trouble with it. And it was just like version nine to ten. There was according to the there Change. was a lock, major nothing,
1: breaking change. And I don't think it was no, I don't think it was nine to ten. It was after that. Yeah, there was nothing breaking for the most
0: part in that. But it was like the sub-dependency that was like going awry and Yarn couldn't install it. And it was like confused. So we ended up like just, okay, I guess we'll just swap out the glob plugin with fast glob and Right, That works totally fine, but it's like, can none of these be stable? And it's like, I want the most simple glob functionality to the point yesterday where I was like, how hard could it be for me to write my own basic glob that has two features like recursive checking. And then honestly, that's probably all that I really need is to like recursively search for files with that pattern. So I might end up doing that just to drop all those dependencies because... I'm getting to that sure you, point where I'm too old to deal with other people's <laughs> stupid dependencies that don't work. <laughs> you just reminded me, happy late birthday. Hey, thanks. Ah, and we're missing of the day. Jason's birthday. Yeah. He was it's funny because when I met Jason, his beard and everything, I thought he was like five old, to ten years right? older than me. Thank you. And then he's five days younger than me.
1: you want to know what i just realized that all the time that jason has brought up the fact that i think he's old and he's like yeah blah 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 you've never once stood up for me here you are right here right now on live on air (laughs) saying you thought the same thing watching me get ragged on (laughs) yeah yeah good choice you don't want to get caught in the crossfire It's, it's a combination
0: of two things it's the beard and it's the kid's they, thank you. That's oh it. my
1: god, dude! Thank you. You just validated <laughs> everything I've been saying for so long. I'm gonna record this. I'm gonna mint this as an NFT. This so is going that, in the Library of Congress.
0: Now that I have a kid, my age just jumped or like five years, right? Something like that. Well, in your eyes, yeah. <laughs> my like, my gray hair. Mofo just like, tired.
1: <laughs> oh yeah. my
0: god! So, Jackson's been having pretty much nonstop ear infections. So he's going to have to get tubes. But yeah. like that kid is so happy the whole time until it's like horrible. And then we're like, Oh, I think he has an ear infection. We take him to the doctor and he's like, yeah, this is really bad. And we're like, I wish we would have known, but he's just like happy, having fun all the time. We start catching him like crying more often last week. I mean, he didn't sleep through the night again. And we we're like, uh oh, this yeah. reminds us of the early days. And sure enough, ear infections. Poor guy. I got a lot of ear infections like from swimming when I was a kid, I guess.
1: I mean, I was a swimmer. So, yeah, I definitely got them. They're we took not just they swimming Dude, for the
0: first time. That was fun. Yeah. How was it? He didn't know what to do. He likes the water. Understandable. And he had like his little raft and like some sort of umbrella thing that goes on it. And more or less, he was just kind of laying in it. His hands and feet would be in the water and stuff, but he
1: loved it. It was great. Well, I've got a joke and I've got a real thing. (laughs) (laughs) Number one, swimming is an instinct. That's how I learned to swim.
0: We haven't put him in the infant swimming lessons yet, but... Well, Apparently, they just kind of t- toss
1: them in there. Well, like, that's what I was about to say. I was trained to give infants swim lessons.
0: Mm. But do we trust you, though? I oh, um, no, man.
1: I think that's like the only... Like, in the water, that's like the only time you can. I'm like, that's actually where I'm like, okay, got real responsibilities here. Can't have a child die.
0: Yeah, it's going to be good because having a pool where, like... Yeah. You just got to make sure that you teach them to swim as young as possible and yeah. Yeah. You know, that's
1: good. Yeah. And then they can grow up and be a lifeguard like me. There you go. Yeah. You got to give them the first step it's blowing bubbles. Just got to get their (laughs) mouth in the water. I kid you not. Yeah. That's a good rule. I like it. That's how you start. Once they get comfortable putting their face in the water, then they're going to be fine. I could always tell immediately. uh, If the kid was like screaming, freaking out, will not put their face in the water. Yeah. I'm wasting my time here.
0: That makes a lot of sense. Jackson, I think, has always been totally cool with it as long as it's not like too cold or too hot or whatever. Well, yeah, I mean, same. But that's about it. So you are pretty much grown up to be a Ruby lifeguard, I think. That can be your Maybe? new title, job title. Yeah. It's like, I know
1: how. I guarantee you right now that the majority, of, unless it's like an actual pool with like actual adult lifeguards, I kid you not, I'm 100%... Infinitely more qualified than every lifeguard at your summer pool right now. Oh, I bet. And but they would probably kill you it. trying to get okay. you out in certain situations. If you're paralyzed, you're not coming away good. If I'm not there or someone <laughs> who has actual training, because yeah, sorry. I
0: like it. Yeah, this is how you police at work too. You're like, oh, somebody's doing meta programming. They're swimming in the deep end. Better watch out.
1: Uh, see, it's not the meta programming though, because I'm fine with the dangerous stuff. <laughs> I just want people to squash their commits. <laughs> That's all I ask. What if every pull request you just
0: squash all of the history down to one commit? So your git repo, is, your git re-
1: repo, I've done that is before. Always one commit. It will you never force, be more than force that. push the main. <laughs> yeah, no, I've done that. I always make sure to uncheck the. There's new branch settings on GitHub now. And one of them is don't allow people to force push to main. And I'm like, oh, yeah, not on my project, sucker. <laughs> I'm doing yeah. what I
0: want. I still do that sometimes. I try to avoid it, but there are often times where you can get in a weird situation with Git. And it's, yeah. like, it's not worth fighting mm-hmm. it to, yeah. to redo it and do it properly. It's like, yeah,
1: let's just like reset and force push. Well, see, that's a reasonable thing to do, right? Like you made a mistake, like something gets messed up. But see, I happen to usually use it when I have to make like commit that I don't want. I'm like, (laughs) I don't want people to know that I had to run CI 18 times on main. Oh, sure. Yeah. Because that's ridiculous. And I probably should have been on a branch. So I'm just going to squash this little thing down. Yeah. But it's it's okay because this weekend or not this weekend. I made my own commitlet config because that's what I do. And I updated my prettier config. So you can install at andrewmcodes slash prettier config or lit config and you can know exactly how I do. Nice. Are those on your GitHub too? Yep. And that's why I brought up JS doc because I was like, I should write this in TypeScript because it's like midnight and I'm like, I should just write this in TypeScript. And then I was like, I feel like recently, and this was before the Twitter drama. Recently, there's been like a lot of people saying that you don't need to use TypeScript if you just use JS docs. And I was like, I want to know more about that. So I spent the evening. What is JS docs? Because I never looked into it. I am not going to explain this well, but I'm going to try it. So JS docs, you know yard docs. Yard docs are a way of specifying it's a specific format of comment that you put above classes functions constants etc and okay a lot of times if you go to like the ruby doc dot info whatever it is like some have mm-hmm. like a ruby doc website those are actually created and compiled from your yard docs so okay. a developers not creating those are automatically created if you use yard docs JSdoc is a very similar concept of like you could specify params, you can specify if it's a constructor and, you know, what it outputs and, you know, what it is, all this stuff. And so in that sense, it's very, very similar to Yard. Now, the one thing that it does, especially really well in VS Code that I have just been like learning more about is you can actually use JS docs to add TypeScript functionality to your code without writing TypeScript. And you do that by adding a comment to the top of your file called, it's like, at ts-check. Okay. And if you put that comment in the top of your code, then VS Code will actually like, it'll run TypeScript checking. And so if you are outfitting all your functions and all your things with these comments, so that the types are very apparent, then you're basically in a typed system almost if you are really good about that. I wasn't really doing it for that. I want to know what VS Code can do with TypeScript. I want to hover over this method and see all the blah, blah, blah. And like sometimes that works, but sometimes it doesn't. And I don't know if you saw this recently. Tailwind, on one of their most recent updates, they added a comment to the top of the file. And I don't know what the comment is off the top of my head, but I'm sure it's something like type def import something and then dot whatever the settings can do. Yeah, I
0: remember... Adam Wathen tweeted about it. March 28th, ESM TypeScript support. So you yes. can write your config file using ESM or TypeScript now.
1: Right. That's cool. That's so, cool. and but oh, it, yeah, it has a that, comment.
0: Yeah, it's like type import tail import.
1: CSS.config. That is a JS doc. And okay. what that does is it tells VS Code and TypeScript, hey, whatever comes next, this is the type of this object. So we're looking at the tailwind config file and it's above the module.exports, blah, blah, blah. And it says yeah. like at type import tailwind css.config. And so the import tail CSS, that's how you specify where the types come from. So in my commit lint project, it says at type def import commit lint slash types. And then it does the same thing that tailwind's doing here, where it specifies the name of the object. So in tailwind this config object is like their typescript typed object thing and by mm-hmm. putting that comment if you have jsdoc enabled and running in vs code then if i try to add a key that is not valid to this config or if i misspell something or if i try to specify or the it's wrong like, type yeah boolean it's but array, you put a function or something yeah exactly yeah. Um, oh, it will sick. actually show you and tell you right there and the best part is it can actually even fix it sometimes
0: this is really interesting because That was on my radar this week because someone had brought up like, they use TypeScript a lot and we're using Jumpstart Pro and all of our JavaScripts in in JavaScript. We're asking about converting it to TypeScript. I'm hesitant to do that because most people know JavaScript and it's like basically forcing hard mode on all of our customers, which I don't want to do, but and it's not just
1: hard. <laughs> it's yeah, very Hard.
0: Yeah. And it's like, they're already familiar with JavaScript. I know that. So we need to stick to that. But it would be really nice to have those type hints on things because a lot of our code is stimulus controllers or whatever. And it's like, okay, that's not library code. That's just regular application code. The libraries, I don't mind doing them in TypeScript for anybody who can take advantage of it. That's like Turbo and Stimulus and whatever themselves can be in TypeScript. And then anybody can use JavaScript or TypeScript to work with it. And that's perfect. But when it comes down to your actual application code, I was like, nah, I don't think we want to do that because it, no. it requires hard mode. But it would be awesome well, as I was going through that. And I was thinking about it. It would be really cool if we had some hints or whatever in our application code. So you knew this is a string or this is a HTML element or whatever it is. And this could be really killer for that. So maybe I can just go through our code, add some nice comments there and kind of fill that stuff out. That would be a great middle ground to make it work well for both. So, yeah, this is really interesting because I think Feels very similar to Sorbet and stuff like that, where it's like, well, we don't want to change the actual language itself and switch to something fully typed, but we want to have those hints. And our editors are smart enough to allow us to use a fully duck-typed language and give us those hints without requiring us to like actually type everything. So, right. best of both worlds in a way.
1: Yeah. Ever since I've like seen it, I'm going to send you a file. So. Shout out to Connor Rogers because like I floundered my way through this for a little while and I was like, I got really close, except there was one tiny little thing I just could not figure out. And I messaged Connor Rogers about it and he answered my question. And I especially I was like, I don't want you to fix this. I don't need help. I just want to know why. And he explained it to me and then he sent me a PR to fix it. So I will include the link to this repository. I'll include a link specifically to the file that is the main file that you have to look at. Cool. Uh, Yeah, yeah. And it was cool because I added tests in JavaScript. Don't ask me why. I don't know why. Because ChatGPT was just like, I can just do that for you. Don't worry. That's where I was getting the error. I was like, why is this thing producing something different? But the interesting thing about the types is like, I was actually able to know what was different. I could literally see the difference. I just couldn't actually figure out how to rectify that just because I was like, don't know how to, Make a commit lit config. I was figuring it out on the go. So yeah. there was like that one little thing I ran into in the test. But other than that, I made pass the wrong type to something in the rules config. And it was like, eh. and yeah. I was like, I yeah. didn't even have to push this. I didn't have to run tests on this. I just know. And I know stimulus has types in it now. So in theory, you should be able to do something similar to this.
0: Yeah, you should. In general, it would just be stimulus because I was trying to think. Really, the only code that you would write for turbo itself would be a custom turbo stream. There's not really anything you, like, inherit from, like, creating a controller and stimulus. There's pretty much nothing like that you do in turbo. So, yeah, it's interesting.
1: Let me ask you one quick question. Are you currently using one service for uptime monitoring, another service for error tracking, another service for status pages? and yet another service to monitor cron jobs and microservices? Paying for all of those separately may be costing you a lot of money. If you want to simplify your stack and lower those bills, it's time to check out HoneyBadger. HoneyBadger combines all of those services into one easy to use platform. It's everything you need to keep production healthy and your customers happy. Best of all, HoneyBadger is free for small teams and setup takes as little as five minutes. Get started today at HoneyBadger.io. That's www.HoneyBadger.io.
0: So is there a specific plugin for VS Code?
1: Nope. It just is...
0: Oh my gosh. Again, that's like Microsoft created TypeScript. So now that they own GitHub and VS Code and all that stuff, it makes a lot of sense. And Heck, they probably use that stuff internally in the actual oh, yeah. source code for VS Code well, itself. VS code is yeah, that's what I thought. So. so they probably have all the tooling ready to go. So yeah. the code and enabling that with the TS check comment there is probably pretty easy
1: for them to do. Yeah. I mean, well, th- I'm th- I just excited that's so about cool. There's like ease into it. You don't have to mess with any build tooling. Yeah, I think it's the main... I was trying to figure out like something adjacent to this in VS Code of like... Right. I'm like, I don't understand what the difference between ES 2018 and this other thing is. I don't understand... Nor should you need to know. And I'm like, (laughs) yeah. And I spent all this time trying to figure that out. I could never figure it out. It It was related to the build tooling, but this JS doc stuff just works with a comment.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Back in college when I was learning Ruby and Python and C and Visual Basic and whatever... My dream was always to be able to start out duct typed. And then over time, as you figure out exactly what you need, then you end up building these like interfaces. And in theory, you can make that like, okay, now we require that. But you really want the flexibility to have your code flow back and forth between typed and Right. Basically, first, as you figure out the types and you're just figuring out what do we even need to accomplish this, you don't want to have to like go too deep on that and do that ahead of time. You want to kind of let the code evolve and see what are the different ways we could even design this. Because I think if you're forced to do types first, then you're like in a totally different mindset, but Ruby's kind of got that flexibility of like, what if we just approached it totally differently. Right. Like you have that ability that I think is awesome. But it is nice because over time, it's like, well, if you're using features of, say, active record or something that expect a relation, when somebody accidentally names their variable plural or singular, and I see this a lot with beginner code, it's like, at comment, and it's like aware relation and they forgot to call like first or find or whatever on it. But their variable name is singular, so they think they have an individual item. But in reality, if their editor just could have told them, hey, you have a relation, not an active record object, an individual one, it would have made their lives easier. But it's like, I don't really need to go write all this extra type stuff in my code if my editor can just let me know what's going on Thank in you. the moment. That is beautiful. So feels like we went from like, we had to pre-process everything with Babel and CoffeeScript and whatever, Not but now Babel. it's like people have realized like, oh, you know what? What if we just put that stuff in your editor instead of a tool that had to pre-process your code? Yeah. And then we can give you the best of both worlds without having to like have a compiler and stuff.
1: This is my personal feeling. I really dislike Sorbet. I have I tried it when it first came out. I tried it not too long ago. I just really don't like it. And I'm not saying that RBS is better or anything. What I am saying is that SolarGraph in VS Code is a language server that uses YardDocs for typing. So you can actually turn on typing support in SolarGraph. And if you add your own YardDocs to your methods... It is smart enough to know when you are then using them, what the types are. So I have recently found myself, even if I delete them all, see, that's the thing, like really helps with refactoring to have those. I don't need them when I write the code because I'm just figuring things out and I'm a cowboy. And I might not need them to hang around either. Although I can see there being value in that, but there are some people out there who hate comments, not naming anyone (laughs) because I don't know if I work with any of them right now, but I know some in the former lives who just hated comments. But just putting like a returns with the type above a method, it just adds so much. And then you're like, what does this method take? What does it return? Like, what if you could just scroll to the method and there's like, at returns, type what the thing is. Done. That's it. It doesn't have to have a description. It doesn't have to be fancy. Like sometimes just knowing the type of the input and the output can save you so much time. Yeah.
0: Yeah. wonder if there's any... Because you know, like the intention in Ruby is generally to have, we don't care what object you give us as long as it responds to these methods or whatever. In general, I think the reason that doesn't get used more is because it's basically like, do you respond to this? Yes or no. It doesn't give you any details of like, I respond to it and requires these parameters that also respond to these things or whatever, a file I.O. or an I.O. object that responds to read. That is the requirement that we accept. So I think that's probably why we want the additional hinting to be able to do that, because then it's like much smarter. But in theory, then you don't have to necessarily do those same checks in your code. If your editor can do it, then it's like, well, we know that everything we pass to this method responds to those. So we don't actually need our method there to check if it responds to it. Because we've already defined that and our editor made sure of that ahead of time. Maybe still important for a runtime check
1: or something, but like in theory, maybe you could get rid of that. When you were talking about the method missing stuff, you reminded me of the greatest code I've ever written that I forgot about that I rediscovered recently that I mm. totally yoinked off someone from Basecamp. But it was like a forum, like for Dev.2, back when I was publishing on Dev.2, I wanted a Ruby gem to interface with the articles so I could like pull down the articles a certain way. And Uh I found a gem in Basecamp's organization and like just studied it. And I'm like, I don't understand this code. And the more and more I read it, I'm like, this is the most genius code I've ever read in my entire life. (laughs) Because I had been writing a ton of like API client gems and like code. And all the code was, it had three methods for getting like all the access that I have been building up in like all these complicated gems and these like validations and like this and that and trying gems to manage it and like three methods initialize, method missing, and respond to. And by using that, I can do like article dot name dot like I can access all of the attributes without doing all that stuff. And it, all it does is like there's a, intercepts no method error exceptions and handles it gracefully and then the respond to is a hook method to return whether the object can respond to the ID method or not. Mm, dang. And the only reason I know that is because I added yard docs all in here. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: At some point, you will have like maybe auto-generated something or Ruby LSP or whatever will be smart enough to like well, it may already be, I don't know. But, like, you've got a user, you have a name, you have an admin Boolean, and then being able to just see, like, oh, admin, even though it's a metaprogramming generated method, it can spit out not just the code, but the uh, type hints or whatever, and your editor can know all that. It's gonna be awesome. Cause those are the things where, like, I love the annotate gem. But when you have a big table and you've got like yes. 100 lines of comments before you, and you see any code. You can't code, remember
1: the fold command. Yeah.
0: It's like that stuff will go away and it will be just done for you and it will be awesome. So it's just nice because I feel like right now there's a big movement towards just making our editors really good at understanding dynamic languages and stuff. Mm-hmm. So we don't have to like go type all our code and switch over to a typed language like TypeScript, we can keep using what we love. And I feel like we lose a lot of that philosophy of Ruby if we add too much typing to it. If it becomes too strict, it's not the ethos of Ruby anymore. It's
1: basically TypeScript to JavaScript. It would be almost its own if you do too much of that if you require they're, that that's stuff. why i don't like sorbet like i don't want to have to put that sig method everywhere yeah. but the comment makes a lot of sense putting it in a separate file makes less sense like that that becomes that's a separate C file, header file yeah they're both like i don't love it, either of them it, but the comment is
0: it could be okay you know it could be okay if it's a separate file but your editor is able to right. let you edit it in one file but That line of code is saved in a different file, which I'm sure is like a pain in the ass for an editor to deal with, to like merge two files visually or whatever. But yeah, if that was doable in an editor, so you as the user don't have to care about any of that, then sure. Okay. But yeah, I'm the same way. It'd be great for some of these to just auto hide it. But if your cursor is inside the method, then it shows because a lot of times you'll read through the code and it's like, well, this is a fairly big file, but the methods are two lines of code, but there's 10 lines of these comments explaining the parameters and everything else in order to generate the yard docs. That can be a pain too when you're like in your editor and you're like, I just am trying to find this method. Those things I bet are going to get improved a lot over the next few years and we'll just have sort of a more seamless thing in a way, because also like a lot of this too is like you're looking at a method and it's like, well, I just want to like, could you just, if I hover over this, show me a preview where it's like, go find the file, grab the method, display it in a little pop-up over top, just tooltip thing temporarily. It you know already
1: works in VS Code, right?
0: Does it? I do
1: that? Yeah. yeah.
0: I use Vim, so I don't have any features. Oh yeah, you can people. <laughs> But I've been using VS Code with Ruby LSP a lot lately, and it's very much enjoying the more features than Vim, but I would like them all to be in Vim. I can tell when I'm typing that there's lag between doing my Vim commands, whereas in Mac Vim, it's like, or Vim in your terminal, it's pretty much instantaneous.
1: You can tell it's implemented in TypeScript, so it feels tell, slower. But I don't use Vim in the terminal, I use them in VS Code. Mm -hmm. I'm about to switch to NeoVim because I saw someone do something in NeoVim the other day and I was like, I want to do that. Uh Oh, yeah? Wait, before I forget, you were talking about like Ruby could just generate the types for you. RBS prototype RB file name will Mm. generate signatures for a Ruby file. There's also another tool that does it that I can't remember the name of. But like you can, in the example, you can pass RBS prototype RB lib slash person RB, which has two adder readers for name context takes in one name argument to the initializer and Her. has one method So it generates the types for it. You just reminded
0: me of a conversation we've had at work several times about like, there's all these AI tools to help write code and whatever. Yeah, there are. Generating your types and stuff feels in a similar vein. And I don't know if this is just habit of mine as I've done this for so long. It's, I'm just used to it. But in a way, like... I want to think through all these things. So, when you like spit out a function for me with Copilot, I like will kind of analyze it and be like, yeah, it's pretty much what I want. Maybe this thing here or there is not exactly right and it needs to tweak. But it doesn't ever allow me to fully think through what the solution can or should be. So, I like see one option and then Everything all of a sudden now in my brain is influenced by the code it just spit out from Copilot, but I don't ever have the opportunity to stop and think about, do I even want to do it this way? Am I even heading in the right direction? So not having the suggestions has me think deeper about is this naming even right before I go do that stuff and so it's been an interesting thing of seeing those tools and then watching other people use them and it influences how you think about stuff if it's spitting out suggestions and stuff. So you as a beginner may struggle more where it's like, oh, that's true. they gave me this solution. I probably need to go that direction, but maybe you set up the problem wrong and you need to step back. But you can't even think about that because it just gave you this new suggestion that you're now thinking about and you got distracted from the real question or whatever. I think it'll be an interesting thing to see because it's probably like you can get really good at tackling problems that way and seeing, okay, quickly I can change the prompt and get seven variations of ways to solve this problem. Whereas brute forcing it or whatever and thinking through it manually and that's maybe way slower or whatever. But it's interesting. I think it's going to be weird to see developers who have like, Started programming with Copilot, and that's all they've ever known. To see like how they end up as their habits in the future versus like our habits where we didn't have any of that. Well, I'll be really curious to see in five or ten
1: years like the different workflows and stuff people have. I have thoughts. I want to show you something real quick. I know the listeners can't see this. I just want to show Chris something that I generated with AI. Ooh, this is cool. There's like certain data structures, right? <laughs> data, flow, operators, object types, yep. It's operators, and then YAML, and then ZSH. Not only did it generate the structure after I like convinced it to, it also generated the data for every... I didn't write a single line of any of these files. No kidding. Wow. Not a single, I didn't name the files. I didn't write the code. <laughs> Dang. And now, whenever I come across... Like the other day, I was like, freaking and the hash and the goddamn flipper flags. And, the, and I'm like, oh, I can just do hash. <laughs> scroll down here. And I'm like, modifying. Okay, yeah, you can delete. And then I was like, oh, but you know, you can also use merge here. And then one day I may come and add a code example for that. And uh-huh. then, so like... For you. or you. So, okay. So, I'm sure, done. I wanted to show Chris a bunch of documentation that I generated from ChatGPT for... And the reason I wanted to show him that is because there are two sides to what you said. Number one, you should know this before I start speaking. I have never proofread a paper I've submitted in my entire life. I don't proofread emails. (laughs) I don't proofread code, (laughs) brother. I don't, I, and that is CI shows. That's the ADHD. (laughs) There's like this major ADHD thing in me where I'm like, I don't care how it works, brother. I just want it to work. Especially if it's not- Mm. the interesting part of coding. And so what you were saying is like, it's not going to explain to you how to think about the problem. And when you were saying that, I'm like, no, you're 100% correct. But it will tell me how to freaking turn off a button with JavaScript. See, I don't have it do like, I'm not having it architect my app. Like there are some people out there doing right now.
0: Maybe that's the right way to explain what I was trying to like a good label for it. Because, yeah, the goal that I have is, like, when I'm writing stuff, I want to know how does Rails handle this internally and stuff. So, like, when I'm writing my Rails apps and defining things, like, at this point in my career, I need to know how Rails works internally to write the best integration with it for, like, the page M or whatever it is. And it's a very different goal than, like, okay, my boss told me to go add this button. And I just need to find the docs for button two or whatever it is. And yeah, I think it's going to do a really great job of effectively instant documentation or close in your hands. And if you're just trying to accomplish, I just need to make this work. I don't care how it works, then it'll be wonderful for that. And eventually it'll be great for the other piece of things. But yeah, like today, this example you're showing me of these docs, I don't really like the new Ruby Docs website. You know, the old one, the gray one that listed everything on the side. You had different pages for the classes and stuff. Like, they like shelled out to Google search or something for it. So you couldn't find the classes easily in the old Ruby documentation. The new one has like this giant sidebar that every built-in standard library class and method and all that in there. But if you are looking for something like the set class and you type in set in the search it doesn't know what you want so it starts giving you set underscore and all these method names and like does not bring me to the set class at all and i was like if the ruby documentation or and the rails api docs are the same way where it's just like kind of terrible search like it's not smart in order to be able to suggest different types of things It's just kind of a bland search or basic search, like a like query in Postgres almost. It is like unbelievably hard to search those. And if I had something like, oh, I just asked chat GPT, what are the methods available on the set class in Ruby? It could tell me that instantly and get exactly what I need versus these awful docs that we have right now that are auto-generated that I think the problem is that they're static at this point. So they have like a JavaScript filter or something, but that doesn't cut it anymore. This is 2023. We need actual Elasticsearch or search or something, Algolia powering those docs. I'm
1: going to interrupt you because I have to tell people this before they click off. Algolia offers a free, fully hosted search for for open source source. projects. If you... So Tailwind Search, which is amazing,
0: yes, is, and that's a good example it's Algolia, of Algolia,
1: it. and it's they have their open source plan, and Ruby could maybe add that, but I know for a fact that Rails specifically yeah. has been like, no, we're not doing that because we yeah. don't want third party, blah blah yeah, blah. Yeah, they didn't want like, a... Okay, sure, but why? It's a <laughs> the problem is
0: I understand this open source project doesn't necessarily want to
1: promote not a Rails product. They have ads on them, or whatever. Redox yeah. simply has ads look very similar to the ads that we were making in code, but I'm just going to say that.
0: At the end of the day, like, my problem is I would rather have an ad than barely functional site. I need it to be useful more than I need it to not have ads. But as long as the ads are like not looking up a recipe and it's like 90% ads and you can never find the recipe in the Weird. sea of ads. But, you know, like, it's at that point now where it's like, I don't think. Front end, unless you have a way to tune those. Because the nice part about the tailwind search is like if you search for, say, Flexbox, there is a parent level Flexbox thing and all of these other little sub things in there that are like Flex Row and Flex Call and whatever. Right. It will be able to like prioritize the correct flex when you just search the word Flexbox. Right. It will know like waiting you probably want the general Flexbox section, as opposed to, here's all these little sub things you can do with it if you're looking for nuanced stuff. Because, yeah, it was like, when I search for set in the Ruby docs, the first result I expect is not a method name of set underscore whatever on some random class. You should prioritize any classes that match that name or have the word set in it, and then methods, and then prioritize underneath that by parameters or arguments or whatever it is. But going back to like the AI stuff, this is probably where you just slap some AI on top of it and that way you can ask it questions and you can get the answers back and it's just a conversation. And then it ends up hopefully being more like, Yeah. yeah, and hopefully it's more like, I would love to have almost the Alexa where I can just sit there and rubber duck and ask but instead of having to type those things, like does set triggered my Alexa, but I would love to be able to just like think out loud and be like, Hey, does set have this method on it? Cause what we ran into today was just for fun. I was like, what Oh, was we're... so we're using set and we're I'm adding items me. to the set. And I wanted to take the set and convert it into a string with commas and separate them out to print out. So I just tried it set call join, pass in the comma and space to join them. And it worked. And I was like, awesome. And I pushed the code up and then CI fails because Ruby 2.7 did not have the join method that was added in Ruby 3. So join actually just says, convert the set to an array, then pass the argument over to join the join method on arrays. So effectively, they like added that feature to sets because basically they should operate just like arrays do. So we discovered that, but then I'm like, we got the error in CI, and I was like, oh, I better go check the docs for Ruby 2.7. And then I was trying to confirm in Ruby 3.2, and I was like, I cannot even find the set class in these docs at all. So it's better for me to just go back to Google and search for it. But this is like why... API doc has such high rankings compared to a lot of the Rails or Ruby official docs, unfortunately, because they're just not really well SEO optimized. But then they're also like, when you go to it, you can't find your answer very easily. So you're going to go back to Google and then Google is going to see, oh, they didn't spend any time on that site. They probably didn't find their answer. And it needs some work. But it also is one where I'm like, well, why do I even need to search that? Why do I even need to leave my editor? to do these searches
1: bro we need a pair of like an hour one day because yeah. the words you're saying and the things i'm doing they're yeah
0: but i'm in vim remember oh, i yeah, got my I'm sticks vim and even. i'm
1: trying to start a fire here <laughs> i mean you can use copilot in vim i just wanted to like
0: browse the docs or find the answer in the docs and not have a generated result for it so i'm actually
1: like really pissed off at you i don't know if you know this <laughs> I'm oh, really good. pissed off at you because this That's is a my life problem, goal. problem and I don't need more solvable problems, Chris. <laughs> I had a plan for what was going to happen after this podcast and wow. now I'm like, oh yeah, all I need to do is feed all the Ruby code to blah, 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 and then have it blah, 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 and store that in a Redis database and then it could blah, 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 and mm-hmm. just ruin my evening.
0: Yeah, your whole weekend was my goal, so
1: well,
0: you just now gotta got to keep I'm, pushing it.
1: The problem is, I guarantee you, I could figure this out by the end of the night. I'm not going to do this. I can't do this right now. I mean, you weren't going to sleep this is, anyways. This is a solvable problem. I didn't go to sleep last night. <laughs> you can sleep one day when you're I dead. sleep tonight. <laughs> it's speeding up every day. I don't sleep. <laughs> I do want to say, I don't think we were recording, but I'm going to tell you something that happens to me and maybe listener out there, this happens to you. I really like apps and I have a problem. But because of that, I really like Product Hunt. So every morning instead of being on Twitter, I log in to Product Hunt and I'm like, ooh, that looks cool. That looks cool. And I upvote them and it syncs into my BS system and you don't have to worry about that. But because of that, I'm getting a (laughs) lot of Twitter DMs of people like, hey, try my product. They are salespeople, right? They're usually salespeople and as someone who is very good at selling things, I can spot BS a mile away. And they're like, yeah, let us know when we get on a call with you. And so we can show you that. And I'm like, gall and gumption. Like, there have been companies, even in the Ruby space where I'm like, do not email me again ever. Right. And yeah. the other day I got a message in my inbox and it, I thought it was going to be the same thing, but I always look right. Because occasionally something really cool comes across my way and I'm just going to give this guy a free promotion because I think this is freaking sick. <laughs> And this guy was like, hey, I've got this product. I'm building a tool that will let you target your Rails logs so that you can get debugging output for a single problematic user. I think it's cool, but I need to hear from somebody with a broader Rails experience. So he sent me that message. And I was like, you know what? No one has ever messaged me about, hey, I've got a Rails tool that I'm like trying to build. And I'm like, okay. And so he sent me a video and he's like, if you could just look at this video, I'd love to hear your thoughts. And I watched the video and I messaged him back. And I'm like, I would actually be willing to talk to you about this more. And he's like, well, he's like, and we could just chat about it on email. We could chat about it here. And he's like, if you want to do a call, we could do that. I'm like, all right, dude, I will have a call with you. You know why? Because you didn't try to force it on me. You let me choose. And because of that, and because I can tell I'm dealing with a developer here who's like building something cool, I will get on a call with you and talk about it. It's called prefab.cloud. And I'm giving this guy a free promotion because... He showed me the video of like using it with your Rails app. You know, I'll even include that in the show notes. That's how good I'm feeling today. Nice. And I was like, dude, this is actually really cool. And I like asked him a bunch of questions about it. And I was like, I was literally having a problem with this the other day where I'm like, my Rails logs are a dumpster fire. And I, all I want to know is what freaking controller did this thing. And I know there are ways you can blah, blah, blah. I know, I know, I know, but I don't want to do that. I just want to filter my freaking log a little bit better. And then this kind of just popped up out of nowhere. And I was like, this is exactly what I was talking about when I was like, there should be a way for me to simply toggle things on and off about what I want to see in the logs like at any given moment. If any given mode, I only want to see the sidekick logs or I only want to see logs that have a certain thing in them. I should be able to like just toggle that and have it mm-hmm. be dynamic. <laughs> I put a link to the video he sent me and I'm putting a link to their website because I think it's cool and it's a Rails tool and I want to support people building Rails tools. And also because I would totally buy this. It looks actually really cool. I'm totally going to convince Jamie and Jason to buy it. Nice. Yeah. I think I saw this a little while back and forgot all about it. It looks cool. I mean, the demo was enough to get me... I've rewinded the demo. Chris, I download probably an average of 20 apps a week or at least like use them.
0: You're one of those hardcore users of the old product hunt. So you are always seeing new stuff.
1: I am constantly seeing new stuff. And this was like, I was like, wow, this is actually really interesting. I would totally be interested to talk to the person building this.
0: It's insane how many new things are posted on Product
1: Hunt. Well, it's but the nuts. fun fact is that because I save them somewhere, I get to know that maybe even higher than 20% of the links don't work for most of the things I upload <laughs> after about a few months.
0: Yeah, it yeah. makes sense. It's a lot of stuff that's like, it's almost all beta almost, or it's not the right word for it, but that's, it's just but like... That's the best
1: time to get in it, Chris, people, when it's beta.
0: Yeah, but it's like, you know, it's people that are like, Yeah, we put a bunch of effort into trying this product, trying to, because they're trying to make something people use. And chances are that's why it ends up on Product Hunt. It never gets a bunch of users because they don't know how to do the actual marketing and stuff to drive users. And so then they probably give up and move on to another product. So I bet that's like why the majority of these don't really make it. uh, And I feel like I
1: I really like seeing people try things. Yeah, you know? well, so like, and this I is a care. great... I just, it's just, it, it's also inspiration. It's like, oh, I never thought Absolutely. about like, doing that. I can rebuild this myself, like with my own tools, like relatively yeah. quickly, but I never even considered that me typing a text message with a certain hashtag in it would trigger some certain workflow to occur.
0: Yeah, yeah. Speaking of that, actually, my first massive non-Rails project, it was partially Rails, but it was primarily like a Ruby background parser was this product that during the elections in the US, we were going to have... And we actually like almost got an agreement. Well, we, I think we had an agreement, but then they legally couldn't promote a product during presidential elections. But we had a thing where we would watch the Twitter firehose. And if you tweeted with a hashtag and a dollar amount, at political party or nonprofit, we would check your username. We'd see the tweet, check your username, check to see if you had a credit card on file and check the recipient. And if you did, we would immediately donate directly from your credit card nice. in real time. It was cool as hell, but
1: that we were- cost like, you a million dollars with the new Twitter API price. Yeah. It
0: cost a ton of money back then too, because it was like,
1: the fire hose was very expensive.
0: Right, I think our minimal, lowest thing was like two grand a month to access the
1: fire That's hose even or something. Cheaper than the lowest plan they got now. Reddit's yeah. increasing their API pricing too. Yeah, Reddit, Reddit's... don't do that because my favorite app of all time, my homie developer, cannot pay multiple tens of thousands of dollars for my favorite Reddit app on the entire world, Apollo. Please, yeah. stop what you're doing, Reddit. <laughs> Get yeah, this is a break. Wasn't
0: it? It was Apollo that had a quote of $20 million a year for their API access or something.
1: I have Apollo premium because I'm like, I will pay for apps that are good. That I'm like, this is providing me value and I don't really need maybe the pro thing. But if it's a one-time purchase, you will commonly probably see me paying for it.
0: Yeah. It's like cheaper than going to a movie or something. So you're like, whatever, if this makes my daily life better, it's better than spending 20 bucks for a couple hours. So might as well. It's easy to buy those one time things. That's stuff where it's like instead of you as the platform screwing over these like third parties, partner with them. They are encouraging people to use your service more. People are paying to use that. So like acquire them and leave them alone or like acquire
1: them is correct.
0: Acquire them, but don't change stuff or acquire them and help them do that even better because guess what? People want to like be power users. But maybe that doesn't have to be the core site, like a power Twitter user who is using TweetDeck or any of the countless paid pro Twitter UIs. Great. Buy the best one and keep it running and just make it a product, but don't shut them down. It just makes no sense. It's like, these are clearly people that really want to use your service, like really badly want to use it. And alienating them seems totally opposite of what they should be doing. And I don't get why they're opposed to it every time. It's like every time they get screwed,
1: but it's like just backwards. It's the apps that do a really good job of Sherlocking things, not to a degree of, Hey, you just ruined this person's business of like, Hey, there's like one thing that everyone's not using the Twitter app for. And it's like this thing that this one app does really well. And like, we could just do that ourselves. We're not like Taking away their ability to do business, right? We're just offering our competing thing, and people will choose and use whatever they want. And I feel like that's, especially in like a plugin system, like for Obsidian and VS Code, they do that a lot of the Sherlocking things that are like, oh, that's a great idea. We should like be able to like colorize bracket modifiers like in a function. Yeah, uh, just do it. They're shutting out competition. That like, hey, they're not using our thing. That means we're losing money. I have a big problem with that.
0: Yeah, it's the wrong motivation for it.
1: Yeah, I'm trying to build their walled garden up even bigger. All right. Yes, we've been, indeed. We've been rambling. Yeah, we have been rambling a lot. And it's, it's been, been a, uh, it's been a good Chris and Andrew episode, I have to say. Yeah.
0: That. The after dark episode.
1: Yeah, I know, we could do that
0: right <laughs> after this if you want.
1: <laughs> dark side. Well,
0: good catching up, man. We'll have to hang out with Jason soon. We didn't get a Hang I mean, out
1: do a birthday celebration after all. But since he's not going to listen to this podcast, I'm going to have you know that I still had not purchased the ticket when I <laughs> realized that I had devastating COVID, which we both had.
0: It sounded awful. I'm glad dude. we didn't <laughs> dude, get it.
1: Dude, 2020 pandemic hits. Me, kind of rebellious, really cared for the rules. I did exactly what they told me. You know why? Because I'm a decent person. So when I went out in public, I wore a mask and I didn't go out and like hang out with my friends because I was, and I didn't like go home with my parents. Like I would rather them be alive and stuff. And Mm -hmm. I lost like grandparents from it and I never got it. Here we are. It's 2023 and Andrew has just caught COVID for the first time in freaking Canada. Thank you, Canada. Very cool.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's a long time to go without it. Ours couldn't be worse timing because it was basically like before our wedding, like oh, the week no. before. Oh, yeah. Twice. Dude. So when it happened the second time, we were like, screw it. We're just going to do the wedding in a month or two before we have the chance to get it again. And we'll be fine. Who cares? I'm more. You should call me in, coach. We had been like following everything. The first time was uh, Brooke's hairdresser doing a pre-wedding you know, test, and she was the one that gave it to her and mm. we were like, all right, this is not cool. It is a crazy thing, but at least the death rate has dropped right. off. So, yeah. so, I mean, I've had so far that's,
1: and stuff like that's the I important, thing. definitely felt it, but I was like, it was like it, a bad cold with like, a weird hangover side effect. Yeah.
0: That's how ours was. But my sister got it in like August, the first year. Yeah, and she still. When we go out to eat together or something, she's still like, "Yeah, I used to like cucumbers, and now they taste weird. And they still taste weird
1: three years later." I have a friend who coughs every time he laughs. Like whenever he starts laughing really hard, he just starts hacking. He never used to do that. It's crazy. It feels like the
0: flu to a lot of people, but also has these much more aggressive things for others. And we still don't know a lot. We're still trying to make programming editors function and yep. yet somehow we're going to the moon i'm going to yep. whatever we're making Can't search
1: for a damn method in ruby but
0: yeah we'll be on soon, baby and the worst of all the worst of all is that we're like we're so advanced in some areas as a civilization but when you're taking that wrapper off your reese's peanut butter cup oh, and it sticks dude. to the bottom still dude. in 2023 Reach. That's That's it. We're ending it right there. That's it. This is what we're mad at.
1: Problem in the world. Yep, it is. Anyways, talk to you next week. (laughs) Until next time. God, now I'm upset.